Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to part two of our series called Relationship Reboot. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. I believe that we are entering into the presence of Jesus. And I just happen to believe that Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord of all. If that weirds you out, well, you're in the right place. And so I want you to know really quickly before we get into this message, because we're speaking all about relationships, my goal in this series, my goal in this message is not to help you improve in your relationships. My goal inevitably and always is to help you see Jesus. And so by the end of this morning, I don't want anyone to leave this place and feel like they have not seen Jesus, they have not experienced Jesus, because I just believe that Jesus is in all things. He's through all things. He deserves all praise and all glory. And so if you leave this place and you only know about relationships, but you do not know about Jesus, I have failed. And so I want you to know about Jesus this morning. We are in a series called Relationship Reboot. And if you guys can just make some noise, if you heard part one, anyone hear my wife bring the word? Was that good? Or was that good? Man, it's so good. So we're continuing down that. And we just thought, hey, you know what? With relationships, why not just do a total reboot? Let's go back to the start. Let's go back to the beginning. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture. And then you can sit down once I read this scripture and once I share this title. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, it says this. It says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever, someone shout whatever, situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God called them this is the rule I lay down in all the churches I want to call this message the relationship rule the relationship rule Jesus we love you we love you we love you can we clap our hands you guys can take a seat thank you so much worship team so glad that you guys could be here. Hey, uh, if you're new here, my name's Harrison. I'm the pastor. And guess what? In person or online, we have a culture in this church where we get loud, we talk back, we respond, we clap our hands. We're not afraid. We're not ashamed. So is there anyone excited to be in church this morning? So good. And I'll let you know, man, you're about to clap a whole lot more today. Come on, somebody. So uh, I want to take you guys back to when I was in college. Uh, When I was in college, we used to play this game. And you guys can let me know if you've heard of this game, you've played this game. Uh, We used to play a game called the Korean Slap Game. Anyone heard of this game? Now, thank you. (laughs) I think we played it together. That could be why. Uh, But we used to play this game called the Korean Slap Game. And and, and I don't know if that's the official name, but, like, we had a friend. His name's Daniel, um, and he's Korean. He taught us the game, and so he told us that it's the Korean Slap Game. And so we just assumed that's the name of the game. Now, for those of you guys who have not played this game... I want to fill you in on how you play this game. Can I do that for a few people? So basically, uh, the game is this. It kind of starts off, and you're in a circle, and you're told a couple of rules, but the rules are kind of vague at best. And so basically what you have to do is you have to learn the game as you go along. And so one of the things you learn really quickly is in this game, you are not allowed to make any noises at all. And so if anyone makes any noise at all, what happens is you get thrown into the middle of the circle. And what happens when you're in the middle of the circle is that you get slapped by everyone. Hence the name, the Korean slap game. Now what happens as soon as someone makes a noise and they're thrown in the middle and someone gets slapped upside the head, what happens is that the rest of us try really hard, but we just begin to laugh. But what happens is you laugh, you made a noise. 
And so you get thrown in the center of the circle, and then you get slapped up. Hence, is everyone following? Hence the name, the Korean slap game. Now, that's only just like a little bit of the game. The main rules is this. It's a pattern game. And so basically, there's a pattern that you have to follow kind of with your hands, and it goes around in the circle. And what happens is if you break the pattern, you get thrown in the middle. And you know what happens when you get thrown in the middle? You get? Is that, you get? Come on. And so what happens is that uh, it's really funny. People get slapped. People get hurt. And you always have that one friend that takes a little bit too hard because he's got like the big club of a hand. Psh, smack someone upside the head. And then we're just laughing our heads out. And then you get thrown in the middle and the cycle repeats and repeats. Now, we played this game when we were in college. Some of you guys like, what a weird game. I'm like, no, it's not weird. You're weird. Um, and so we would play this game. And one thing over and over again when we played this game, something began to emerge. There was a pattern. And one of the things I noticed at the beginning of the game a lot of people couldn't understand the pattern. They just didn't get it. And so what happened is they would get slapped up. For a lot of people at the start of the game, they couldn't control their laughter. And so what happened was they would get slapped. But as the game went on, I need us to see this. After they would experience the pain of getting slapped, all of a sudden they would pay a whole lot more attention to the pattern of the game. Once they felt the pain of getting slapped, they were a little bit better at controlling their laughs. Because the truth was, they didn't want to experience the pain. And so what I realized in this game is that how, basically how it worked is that people would learn <laughs> that in order not to experience pain, they had to understand the pattern. But the problem was, until they experienced the pain, they didn't bother to learn the pattern. Is everyone following? You see, what I've realized is that when it comes to relationships, this is how so many of us view relationships. Is we look at relationships and we try to, to say to ourselves, well, maybe there's a pattern, maybe there's something that I should do. But the truth is, for most of us, we don't bother to learn the rules of relationship until we get hurt. Anyone like that? Have you guys ever met those people? It's like, you know what? Like, I'm just, I know that, like, there's solid relational advice. Like, I know, and maybe you're a Christian. I know that God says some things. But, like, I'm one of those person, people that I just need to experience the pain for myself. You guys know these people? It's like, you know what? For me to learn, I just really need to get my heart broken, and then I won't do that again. You know what? That's not a strategy. That's stupidity. But the problem is that's how so many of us view relationships. Or it's like, you know what, I'll just wait until something happens. I'll wait until I experience pain. Then I'll try to learn the pattern of relationships. But I'm here to tell you that what if God had a better way? I said, what if God had a better way? What if you didn't need to get slapped upside the head to succeed in relationships? What if you didn't need to experience heartbreak, pain, divorce, breakups, whatever it is, until in order for you to learn how to succeed in relationships. Now, the beauty, and this may sound crazy, is that I just actually happen to believe that the Bible is the word of God. I know, crazy. You guys don't even believe it. Otherwise, you clap your hands because God spoke to us. That's so crazy. If you're not getting the picture, church, we make noise here. Come on. And I'm saying this because 930 was on fire. And so uh, I, can't, I can't preach after I've experienced 930 if you guys aren't on fire. So uh, I just happen to believe that the Bible is the word of God. And so I just happen to believe that unlike the Korean slap game, the rules to relationships aren't vague. 
I believe that God gives us a roadmap. I believe that God gives us a playbook in order that we can experience the best in our relationships. In order that we don't actually have to experience pain. Does that sound good to anyone? Come on. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give us some some practical guidelines, some rules that can save us from pain in our relationships so we don't have to get slapped up. Now, some of us are like, Pastor, too late. I'm in the midst of the slapping as we speak. (laughs) The beauty of the word of God is that I believe that God wants to help us not only before we enter into relationships, but his word is so transcending it can change us within our relationships as well. And so I want to speak on that this morning, and I want to speak about what I call the relationship rule. Now, the beauty of this is that what you're going to see is, ironically enough, it's not a rule at all, but it's more so a series of decisions. And even more than that, it's a mindset that when we enter into our relationships, if we understand how to have the proper mindset, we will begin to experience better relationships. And so by the end of this message, my prayer is that you can be single and secure. My prayer is that you can be committed and content. My prayer is that you can be divorced, but still experience delight. Maybe you're widowed, but life can still be wonderful. Because I have this belief that when it comes to relational success, what if it wasn't so much about our status, but more so about our purpose? And so that's what I want to speak on this morning. And what I want to do is I want to read um, from a book called 1 Corinthians. Now, if you're new to church, the Bible is broken into two testaments. It is so simple, Old Testament and New Testament. Now, the book we're reading today is found in the New Testament, and all this means is this is after the time of Jesus. And so the book of 1 Corinthians, if you guys come to church, you will know that I give a little bit of context before I speak. But today, I want to give a lot of context. Because in order for us to understand the words of Paul, we must understand the world in which Paul was speaking to. So can I give us a little bit of context this morning? So Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, and that's the the words we're going to read. Now, the church that he wrote to was kind of a messed up place. The church was messed up. Now, for a lot of people, maybe you're new to church or maybe you've been in church for a long time and you had this idea that church is filled with perfect people doing perfect things all the time. I'm here to tell you from the beginning of the church, it has always been filled with messed up people. And it will always be filled with messed up people. And so if you feel like not going to church because of messed up people is a reason not to go to church, I encourage you and I'll tell you there is no such a thing. Church is filled with messed up and broken people. That's why you're here today. And that's why we're so happy that you're here. But the beauty is, and the beauty of God, is that God loves us so much that I don't believe he wants to keep us a mess forever. And so what we're going to do, or what we're going to see, is that the words that Paul writes to the Corinthians are to help them out of their mess. And so the mess they got themselves in was basically because of this. The church in Corinth had developed a theology, an understanding of God, a picture of God that was good, But it wasn't that good. And so basically what happened is this. I need us to follow this because everything that we say is going to fall back on this. The church in Corinth, they loved God, but they also loved culture. They loved the world around them. And so basically what they said is like, man, this was a church that was like, we're 50%. Our our, our beliefs, our basis for what we do is based on God, based on Jesus. But the other 50% is kind of like the culture around us. Like, I love to be spiritual, but I also kind of love to be secular. Anyone in that ever? It's like, I want to be spiritual, but I kind of got this. And so what happens is you see a church divided. They love Jesus, but they love the world. They want to be like Jesus, but they also kind of want to be like everyone else around them. You guys following? 
Is everyone following? And so what happened is that it's a church that's kind of divided. And so what it looks like practically is a church that, like, they have communion because they want to celebrate and commemorate the death and resurrection of Jesus. But at communion, because in the culture, people like to party, they would get drunk at communion. Because they're like, yeah, we're, like, spiritual, but we're also kind of like, we like to party. Come on, somebody. And so this church was just kind of filled with, with, with a bunch of people. They were kind of messed up. But the biggest thing, and what we're going to speak on today, is that the identity of the church was divided. Instead of their identity being solely in Jesus, they had built an identity that was based around relationships and sex. And so in other words, they had developed this idea that what was most important in life was their relational status or their sexual status. Sex and relationships, in a sense, became like a god. It was what they worshipped. Now, maybe you're saying to yourself, that sounds kind of weird. Like, what would a culture that worships relationships and sex even look like? I don't know. It would probably look like a culture that every single week, maybe on Monday nights, maybe on Tuesday nights, depending on the season, where people, millions of people gather around and go watch a dating show. Maybe, maybe it's a culture where the sex industry is not a million-dollar industry. It's barely a billion-dollar industry. It's pushing a trillion dollars. Maybe it was a culture where in the last year alone, the amount of pornographic videos that people recorded, if you went and tried to watch the videos that were just recorded in the last year, you would not have enough time in your entire life. I don't know what the culture looked like. Maybe it was kind of like Canada 2021. It was a place that had elevated sex, elevated relationship, not to something that was good, but to something that is God. And so the people began to worship it. Now, there's a problem with it, and, and I'm trying to paint a picture. Is everyone following the picture? Yeah. Corinth looks a whole lot like Canada. And it looks a whole lot like the developed world, <clears throat> where there's this idea that sex, relationships are my highest calling. They're God. The problem is this. Whenever you put anything in the place of God, because it is not God, it will always disappoint. And it will always fall short. And so the people in Corinth were striving after sex, striving after relationships. The only issue was it was never enough. And so in Corinth, divorce was rampant. Because people went into marriage hoping to find the deepest fulfillment, but they never found it. And so they're getting divorced for no reason. People were exploring all avenues of sexuality, believing that their purpose was found in their sexual identity. The problem was because they could never find purpose in their sexual identity, they went from different things to different things, trying all new vices. There was people that were sleeping with their stepmothers. Why? Because they're just trying to find something new. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yes, yeah, in the Bible. The Bible's not boring. You're boring. <laughs> so read your Bible. Because it's all in there. But this is the culture. Is everyone following? And so what happened was it was this culture that was constantly searching, looking for something. And so Paul is about to speak into that culture. And what Paul does really even more than reprehend this culture, Paul wants to speak into the heart of why they are doing what they do. And he wants them to understand the deeper issues of the heart. And he wants to give us some rules that will help us succeed. Anyone ready to go this morning? So what Paul does, Paul starts out, and he starts out extremely controversial in what he says. And you'll know why in a moment. Because what we just said is this culture is obsessed 
with relationship and sex. That's the highest calling. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6, I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. Now we need to understand, what is Paul? Single and ready to mingle. But not so much. Single. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, I say this as a concession, not a command. The reason he didn't command it is because he didn't want everyone leaving their marriages. But he says, as a concession, he's like, you want to know what is best, what I think is best? I actually wish that you were all single. Listen, in a relationally charged culture where relationship is seen as something so high, imagine how, how, how controversial these words are. When you think sex and relationship is God, Paul says, I wish you were single. And then he goes on. You want to know why he says, I wish you were single? He says, I wish you were single because married people, I love them. But like the husband has to serve the wife and the wife has to serve the husband. And when you're single, you actually have more time for what really matters. And that's Jesus. So it's like, I stay single. It's all good. He continues. We'll go back to verse 7 in a second. Verse 8, he says, now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Stay single. I want us to really feel the weight of these words, and they should speak to our culture directly as well as it spoke to Corinth. The pervasive worldview was that you need to be in a relationship. Our culture believes that sex and relationship is our highest calling and our highest identity. Paul says, I wish you all were single. I wish you were single. You see, in our culture, and maybe you guys are saying, well, I don't know, does our culture really worship relationships? Does our culture really worship sexuality? Absolutely. You want to know one of the reasons that the church gets in trouble for having sexual ethics? is because our culture says sex is God. And so anytime you try to put sex in, in kind of some kind of offense, basically what you're doing is fencing off their God. And that's extremely offensive. Is everyone following? And so what Paul is saying is offensive to them and it's offensive to us because there's this idea that all that matters is that you be in a relationship. Now, in church, we're not, we're, not, we're not off the hook either. Because in church, and maybe you guys have been there, maybe you've sat through the sermons, a lot of times by the end of it, we make it seem like, hey, once you are in marriage, once you are married, you have now entered into your highest calling. This is the end destination. This is the best. Paul says, no, 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 I'd rather you guys be single. So here's the first thing I want to do, and I will show us how this will help in every single one of our relationships. The very first thing we need to do is this. Write this one down. We need to tear down the relational idol. We need to tear down the relational idol. Here's the idea we need to tear down. Write this one down. The relational idol is the idea that the ultimate destination in life is sex and relationships. Our ultimate destination in life is either sex or relationships. Now, here's the thing, because I'm talking all about singleness, and you don't know I'm married. Um, some of you guys are like, does this guy hate marriage? No. Um, the truth is this. I think that relationships are not bad. They can be good, but they're not God. They're not God. And so anytime, listen to this, because an idol is something that you worship. God is the only one. God is the only thing that is worthy of the weight of worship. And so anytime you put something in that place that you are worshiping, it is a glory that is only the God of the universe can bear. And so anything else you put on that pedestal will crumble, will crumble, because only God can bear the weight of glory. And so what we're doing is we're tearing down the relational idol. 
And I'll tell you how I know it's an idol in many different ways, in many different places. For me, as someone that's married, like I said, um, if I ever talk to my single friends um, or people that aren't in relationships and I try to advise them, like, hey, you know what? It's not bad to be single. You want to know what the first thing a lot of people say? And maybe you guys have heard this. Well, that's easy for you to say when you're in a relationship. That's easy. You know why people say that? It's because the idea is that where you are is ultimate. You are where everyone needs to be. And so you should not tell everyone else not to have where you are because that's the ultimate. And so what happens is they treat it as a need. But Paul doesn't treat it that way. Because basically what they're saying is like it's easier for you to say to, to not drink when you're, when you're drinking from the fountain when I'm over here dying of thirst. And, and the reason we have that belief system is because for so many of us, the idea is that relationship, sex, is God. And so we frame it as a need. But the truth is, it's not. Because if it was something that you actually need, Paul could never say, be single. But he does. And so here's the truth. When we put relationships in the proper box, not as a necessity, but it can be a luxury, it can be a good thing, but it's not a God thing. It's not God. Because anytime we would try to put a relationship in that box, we put it as a need when it's not in need. You know what happens? I'll explain it like this. Let's go back to the water analogy for a second. If you guys were, let's just assume you're in the desert. I know it's hard to believe when it's minus 40 outside. But imagine that you're dying of thirst. And I come to you and I have my superstore no-name water bottle, kind of like this. I think this is from Sobeys. But I bring this water bottle to you and I said, hey, I noticed that you're dying of thirst. You want this? I guarantee you, no one would say, you know what? I don't want that. I actually want a Fiji water. I, I only drink Fiji. Sorry, I'm going to just die here until someone gives me a Fiji. You know why we would never say that? Because water is an absolute need that we have to have. And so listen, if you have to have something, you won't be as picky. Because I just need to fulfill this need. Do you guys see where I'm going? And so in relationships, if you view it as something that you must have, something that you need to have, that will always lead to desperation. And you'll be willing to lower the standard. You'll be willing to lower the standard. When sex is framed as a need, it means I'll do whatever I can to satisfy that need. When relationships are framed as a need, I'll do whatever I can to, to meet that need. And so what Paul is trying to say is we need to tear down the relational idol. Now, for some of us, it's like, I'm so glad all these single people got to worry about that. I'm married. I'm good. Listen, the relational idol is really good when you're single, but it's ultimate when you're married, that you need to tear it down. You want to know why? Because for so many people, they have this idol in their heart because culture tells them that. I need this. And so what happens is when you get married and if you've never exposed that idol, the idol doesn't go away. It just comes out in full force. And so what happens is that in our relationships, you will begin to look to your partner as God. Meaning they need to fulfill every need I have in my life because that is what they were designed to do. No, it's not. That's a weight that they were never meant to bear. This is why I think within divorce, like marriage in Canada, divorce rate is so high. 
Because people are looking to their partners to be ultimate. They're looking to get something that they were never meant to receive from them. They can never hold on to the weight of glory. And so what happens is that we move from relationship to relationship thinking that that person is the problem. They're not the problem. It's like um, Chris and I, um, we just moved into our new house. And one thing that I say when I'm at church a lot of times is I'm not a handyman, um, but I am a handyman now. Come on, somebody. Um, Jesus is working on my heart, uh, and so are my manly friends. Uh, and, and so um, I'm just, you know, doing a whole bunch of stuff around the house, learning how to use a drill, all these great things. <laughs> you guys are like, how old is this guy? Um, but one thing that kind of holds me back from, you know, fully stepping into manhood um, is that I don't have a ladder in my house. And, like, I think, like, that's, that's an important tool for a man to have, you know? And so in our house, as we move into our new house, uh, there's a lot of things that are high. Like, there's lights, there's smoke detectors. And so in the course of this new house, um, I've had to change a couple of things that are high such as lights and smoke detectors. We put up curtains, blinds. The issue is I don't have a ladder. And so what I've had to do is I have had to go and find things in order to get me high. <laughs> I, I, I thought I'd word it differently this service. came out exactly the same. Um, don't do drugs. Uh, <laughs> I have to find ways in order to get up high, but I don't have a ladder. And so what I've done is I've climbed on furniture. I've climbed on our couches. We've brought chairs in order just to get a little bit more height. And one thing that has happened pretty much every single time as I'm reaching up, twisting, turning, screwing, all of a sudden we'll kind of hear these noises. Like a <laughs> And so Christy will be like, get off the couch. Get off the chair like you're going to break it. And so naturally, I jump off because I know that that chair can't hold my weight. Now, listen for a second. Can you imagine if I jumped off that chair or I jumped off that couch and I said, Chris, do you know what? I think we need a new chair. I think we need a new couch because this couch can't handle me. Listen, the couch was never designed for me to stand on it. And so what happens when I put a weight on it that it was never meant to bear, it will never be able to hold up to the weight I put on it. Is anyone following? And this is what so many of us do in relationships. We put the weight of God, we put the weight of glory on our spouse because we have this relational idol. But guess what? They will always fall short. And so what happens is we'll move from relationship to relationship. We'll be on our third, our fourth marriage thinking, man, I just need something new. No, no, no. The issue is you're trying to climb a chair when you need a ladder. And the ladder is God. He is the only thing that can fill the deepest desire of our hearts. And so the issue, listen to this, for people in relationship, the issue nine times out of ten is not the other person. It's the pedestal you put them on. Because they can't hold the weight. And so first thing we need to do is tear down the relational idol. And that's whether we're single, married, whatever it is. Tear down this idea that sex and relationship are ultimate, are God. So he continues, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that you were all single as I am. I wish that you were all as I am. We read that part. 
He continues on, though. He says this, but each of you, someone say, but, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that. This is really important because Paul is saying, hey, it's great to be single, and he's doing that to tear down the relational idol. But the next thing he wants to say, and he wants us to understand something, whatever your relational status is, it's a gift. If you're single, it's a gift. If you're married, it's a gift. If, if you're, if you're kind of in between somewhere, it's a gift. And so basically what he's saying is this, and here's the second thing I want us to understand. Because what happens in relationships, and one of the quickest ways to be unsatisfied, be it when we're married, single, dating, whatever, one of the easiest ways to become unsatisfied is when we compare our situation to something around us. So Paul says this. He says, choose contentment over comparison. Choose contentment over comparison. Each of you has his own gift. I'm going to illustrate this like this. Thank you so much to my lovely assistant. Uh, it's my sister, not my assistant. Thank you guys for laughing. Um, so the issue is this, and I want us to see this because I think a lot of us have been here before. Have you guys ever gotten something really good and you thought it was really good? but then you compared it to something else and suddenly it wasn't as good as you thought it was? Has it ever happened in your relationships? So listen, I'm going to illustrate it like this. This last Christmas, for those of you guys that don't know, um, my family, pretty much all of us, we cheer for the best team in the NHL known as the Boston Bruins. Um, thank you. I see you, I see you Joe. Uh, online, you can let me know who you like, but you're wrong. Um, listen, I love the Oilers too, just to say that, but the Bruins are better. Um, statistically and otherwise. And so for myself, I love the team, and so I consider myself a little bit of a jersey connoisseur, if you will. And so I like to collect the jerseys. And so this last Christmas, um, I asked my dad for a jersey uh, of my favorite player, David Pasternak. I know you watch, so thank you so much for all you do. Um, and so I asked my dad for this jersey, and thankfully... I got the jersey for Christmas. Come on, somebody. Let's clap our hands. Can I show you the jersey? Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. Thank you. Listen. We're not just going to show it. I'm going to put it. Can I put it on? How does that look? That, is that a beautiful jersey or is that a beautiful jersey? Now, I'm so happy I got this jersey. I love this jersey. Now, the issue is this. Um, I ask for, you know, things like jerseys for Christmas because I have all that I need. Come on, somebody. Um, my brother, on the other hand, he asks, you know, for more practical things like shoes, clothes, things you can wear more than just once in a lifetime like this. Um, but however, you know, my family, we all love the Bruins. And my brother loves the Bruins equally. And so my dad didn't leave him empty-handed. And so what my dad did is my dad got him a sweater. Now what I'm about to show you is not the exact sweater, it's just a replica. Because the exact sweater has been taken back. <laughs> You'll find out why in a second. So this is another sweater bearing the beautiful 
team. Can you guys see that? What a sweater. Beautiful. Now, I thought that the sweater that my dad bought my brother was a great sweater. Beautiful sweater. The issue was, I got this first. And so what happened is that my brother saw this beautiful jersey. And so what happened is that when he got his sweater that I think was equally as beautiful, all of a sudden, I need us to see this, instead of looking at the sweater that was right in front of him, he began to compare it to the jersey that he did not have. And the reason I can't told you to tell you, show you guys the sweater is because he took it back. You see, what happens so many times in life, is everyone following what I'm saying? We can have something so good, but then when we compare it to something else, suddenly what is good doesn't seem so good. Now, the only issue is this. It's an unfair comparison. It's an unfair, because one thing is a sweater and the other is a jersey. They're two different things. But how many times do we do this in our lives? Single people, how many times have you guys actually kind of felt content? Like, I feel good that I'm single, but then all of a sudden you hang out with a bunch of married people or people in relationships, and suddenly you're like, man, I'm forever alone. <laughs> like, look at them with their smiles and their PDA and all that. And I, you see, the issue is this. It's not that they're in a relationship and that you're single. It's that you're making an unfair comparison. Because those are two different stages of life. And so the easiest way to reject and miss what is right in front of you is to compare it to something else. And so that's why Paul says, wherever you are, he says, don't compare. It's a gift. Because here's the problem. Comparison always leads to compromise. Comparison always, I said comparison always leads to compromise. You know what's interesting? If you're sitting by that person, don't look at them. If you know this person, think of them. If you are this person, I'll pray for you. Have you guys ever seen people that just make stupid decisions? And you ask yourself, and I'm talking relationally here, and you ask, like, how could they make such a dumb decision? You want to know what's crazy? I don't think any person in their mind ever sets out to say, I want to make bad choices. You know what? I just want to enter relational hell. That's what, you see, the ironic part is this. In our minds, we are 100% committed to what is best for us. The problem is an execution. And many times I would argue that within a relationship, one of the reasons we settle, one of the reasons we lower the bar is because we begin to compare to what I don't have, to what that person has. And the truth is this, the moment that I compare, I will always compromise. If I'm willing to compare, I'll be willing to compromise. And listen, I'll give you a really good clue for someone that's compromised. Maybe you've had this conversation before. If you ask someone why you're with that person, and they say, you know what, that person, they just treat me so well. Why are you guys together? Well, they just, she just treats me so well. He just treats me so well. You know what I want to say to that? What? You're with someone because they treat you well? Well, I hope they treat you well. But that's the absolute lowest level. The waiter at Olive Garden treats you well. People that don't know you treat you well. Treating you well is no, barrier, is no barometer for being in a relationship. You shouldn't really have many people in life that don't treat you well. But how do we get there? We lower the bar. Because we have the idol 
that says, I need to be in a relationship. And so suddenly we begin to compromise. I know she's unemployed. I know he's 48 and lives at home. I know, yeah, he doesn't believe in God, but he's spiritual. And so we begin to lower the bar because we compromise because we think we need something. But here's the thing, and I want us to understand this, and this is so big. You want to know how we can never compromise? Know your value. Know how much you're worth. Listen, write this one down. People will put whatever price tag on you that you put on yourself. People will put whatever price tag on you that you put on yourself. Listen, Christy said this last week online, in person, if you saw it. But what she said is we just moved, and so we had to furnish our house. Um, Her story, kind of accurate, not fully accurate. Um, But the point is um, we needed new couches. And so uh, we went to a whole bunch of places to look for couches. And we went high, we went low. We saw expensive couches. We saw not so expensive couches. We saw things in between. Spoiler alert, our couches are from Ikea and I Furniture because that's what we could afford. Um, and I love to. <laughs> and they look fantastic and I can pay my mortgage. Like what a time to be alive. Um, but a couple places that we went to, um, like I saw some couches. Come on, somebody. And. I'll never forget this one place that we went to. So Christy dropped me off just to run inside, like see if there's anything in there for us. And so I ran inside and I saw this sectional. And the sectional was like the biggest, best sectional I've ever seen in my entire life. And like it was shining, like there was a glow from God on it. And I went and I sat on it and like I I sunk into it. I almost passed out. I was taken to the third heaven. Like it was just crazy. So nice. And I was like, wow, what a sectional. Then I went and looked at the price tag. And the sectional cost $16,000. I did not know there was furniture that cost $16,000. I was like, you got to sell your car to buy this thing. Now, what's crazy is that as I looked at that section, I want you guys to understand something. Because sale reps came by and people asked, you know, what are you doing here? Are you interested? Can I tell you what never went through my mind? Never once did I think to myself, you know what? I bet you I can get this couch for 1600 bucks. I'm just going to ask. You see, this is the beauty when a value has been set. When a value is set high and someone knows that they're worth something, someone knows that they're valuable, something is valuable, you will not compromise. You will not take what is less than you deserve. And some of you are saying, well, Harrison, how much do I know? Like, how do I know how much I'm worth? Guess what? Jesus has set your value. And he set it on the cross. Come on, somebody. And what he said was that you are so valuable. You are so worthy. I love you so much that nothing can separate me from your love. And so I am going to die for you. You know how much you're worth? Invaluable. You're worth the life of God himself. And that's why we worship. Come on, somebody. But what that means is that if I know my value, I will never take anything less. And so you need to understand something, church. You're a $16,000 sectional. That's what you are. And so don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Don't compromise. Don't lower the bar because the truth is you don't need to be in a relationship. You are single and secure. You are divorced, but life can still be delightful by myself. 
I'm not going to compromise because I know how much I'm worth. Listen to this, church. This is what happens in marriage. Because a lot of us, I'd say most of us, when we get into our marriages, we believe that the person we are with is valuable. We love them unconditionally at the start. But the question is, how can what, what was once so amazing, how can it fade? I think many times, obviously not all times, but many times, the root of it's comparison. Because listen, my wife, I told you guys, she preached last week, and I, I say it all the time, she's the whole package, plus she pays her taxes, and she keeps it real where the others stay plastic. Um, you can look up the lyrics after, hashtag like 2010. Um, but Christy, she's amazing. She's an amazing mother. She's an amazing preacher, we're finding out. She's got it all going on. But she's not a brunette. She's just a blonde. Listen, listen. I love the Bruins. I'm preaching half a sermon in this jersey. She doesn't love the Bruins. She tolerates them. <laughs> so listen, 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 listen. How do I miss out on what was once so valuable? This is what so many of us do. We look for what we don't have because we think that's what I need. One thing that you'll find so many times is when people go to the next relationship, it'll look completely opposite than the last relationship. It's because they're looking for all the things the last person wasn't. But the truth was, when you do that, you do value all that you had, and you'll always be caught chasing. And so comparison always leads to compromise. So listen to this, church. Choose contentment in whatever your status is, because if you do not choose contentment, you will always chase. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whatever it is, you will always chase if you are not content. And so the question is, Harrison, where do I find contentment? How do I find it? Paul concluding where we're going to be today, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. He says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Did you get that? He says, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them. You know what's interesting? Paul could have taken the time to go and list every single possible relational sexual status. But instead, he uses the first thing to let you know what is the most important thing. And the most important thing about your life is not your status, but it's your purpose. And the purpose of your life, he says, is to be a believer, to live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. You know how you tear down the relational idol? You say, my status isn't the most important thing. My sexuality isn't the most important thing. Jesus is the most important thing. And when I believe that Jesus is the most important thing, I will never put anything else in its place. So listen, this is the last point. Write this one down. Contentment is found in your calling. Contentment is found in your calling. It is not found in a person. It is not found in a relationship. It is only found in your calling. Do you want to know what your calling is? It is to be a follower of Jesus. It is to bear the name of Christ. It is to bear the name above every other name, the one who was and the one who is and the one who is still to come. It's Jesus. 
That is the purpose of your life. And so listen, I want to speak to people in this room right now. Because I hope that your relationships get better. I hope that they improve. But I'm here to tell you, unless Jesus is Lord of your life, it will not be all that you want it to be. It can be good, but you need God. That is highest. That is what is most important. My highest calling is that I bear the name of Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Think about that. I have the opportunity to not just follow Jesus, but for Jesus to actually live in me, to live in purpose, to do all that God has called me to do. My highest calling is in Jesus. You know what that means? That means I'm a Jesus follower, period. Full stop. No cap, whatever the kids say. You know what this means? I'm not a married Christian. I'm not a single Christian. I'm not a divorced Christian. I'm not a widowed Christian because none of those things are your identity. Our identity is Jesus. And until we understand that, we will chase and we will chase and we will chase. But the beauty is instead of having to chase something, God already chased us and he sent his son down to live in us, to dwell in us, to give us exactly what our hearts desire, exactly what our hearts need. And so the beauty is this, in life, I don't have to look around. I don't have to look to people to satisfy me. I don't have to look to people to fulfill me. I don't even have to look inward. It's not about my own strength, my own resolve. Whenever I'm feeling low, I don't look inward, outward, I look upwards. I look to Jesus because he is the one that can satisfy the calling in my heart. And so listen to this church, here's the relational rule. And let's just stand because I really want us to receive this. And I believe that this will help you no matter what your relational status. Comfort and calling is found in your contentment with Jesus. Comfort and contentment is found in Jesus. That's the relational rule. So don't look anywhere else because otherwise you will always be chasing. Augustine, thousands of years ago, in his famous book, Confessions, he wrote something so profound, and all of us, I believe, know this intrinsically be, to be true. But he says this. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. So I'm here to tell you, whatever you think that you need, whatever that you are chasing, unless it is Jesus, you will never find rest. And you will go from relationship to relationship. You will go to different things looking for your identity to be found, but it can only be found in Jesus, the one who has died for you, the one who loves you more than anything else. And so listen, right now in this place, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Church online, we see you too. If you're saying today, I'm tired of chasing, I don't want to chase anymore. I haven't found contentment. I haven't found what I'm looking for. I just want you, Jesus. If that's you today, you want to give everything to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity. 
Now, maybe it's the first time ever. Maybe you've never fully surrendered to Jesus. Maybe you don't even know what it looks like. Maybe it sounds scary. Maybe it sounds big. But all it really is, it's a decision to say, Jesus, I just want to give you everything. I can't do this by myself. If that's you today, you want to give it to Jesus. You want your heart and your soul to find rest. We want to give you that opportunity. So every head is bowed, every eye is closed. It's not to embarrass us, not to call us out, but to simply give us the opportunity to respond. If you want to respond, you want to say, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I need you. Every person in this place who has made that decision is praying for you right now. I just want you to raise your hand. I'm just going to count down from three and just show me your hand. Online, just open your hands if you want to receive this. In three, two, one, just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. You want to give it all to Jesus. Thank you. I want to pray for us in this moment. Jesus, you see every hand, you see every heart, God. And I pray that for any person that needs to put their faith, needs to put their trust in you, that today we do a total reboot and that you lead us to where you want us to be. And that is within and with you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are, for who you are. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. Can we clap our hands? Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. Hey, if you want more information, if you've decided to follow Jesus, we encourage you to head over to kingdomchurch.ca right now and connect with us. We can't wait to get to know you. Until next time, take care.